this series has been so good on love, preaching fresh air. Why don't you grab your Bibles or you version if you have that on your phone. Bow your heads. Let's ask God to open our hearts. Father, thank you for your word. I believe that in this book are the words of life. And I think lives have been changed in the last six weeks. In the last eight and a half months because of the words of this book. So I pray for the next half hour you would open my heart. I want to leave better than I came today. I'm ready to receive whatever it is that you have for me. Come on, I want you to whisper that. God, whatever you have for me, I want that. Whatever it is you want to tell me, I'm open to it. I'm ready to receive it. In Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. Amen. Thanks, Lex. So we have been, uh, we've been preaching about what it means to sort of get the wind back in yourselves. That's the whole idea of this fresh air series that sometimes in life you just feel lifeless and listless and depressed and kind of down. And I don't know if you're there now, but at some point in your life you've probably been there or you will be at some point uh, in the future in your life where you just feel like, man, there's just no, there's just no wind in my sails. You know, there's just, no, there's just no air in my lungs. I just feel, you know, like I, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get out of the room. I don't. And even Christians get to this point where there's just no life. I don't know if you've, if you've been a Christian for long at all. You'll know that there's some stuff that happens in your life that changes everything. There's a phone call that will happen that you think, man, I never thought I'd get that phone call and now there's a funeral or there's, you know, something goes wrong or you lose a business and you, you put all your life savings in it and now everything's upside down or, or, or maybe, you know, you, you walk to the front of a church and you say, I do and forever and it doesn't last forever and you think, man, what do I do now? And even if you're following God, even if you're a Christian in the house, there's just some areas of your life, there's some seasons of your life rather that just get Low. Has anybody ever been there? Would you just be honest with me and say, man, I have been there or I'm there right now in my life. I've just been low. If, if you're there right now, I'll raise both of your hands. I've just, I've just been there, somebody. I've just been where I needed some power in my life. I needed fresh air in my life. And really, we said a couple of weeks ago that the only thing that's going to happen that's going to really change that and put fresh air, get you out of the doldrums, kind of, you know, put, put wind back in your cells and put lung, you know, put air back in your lungs is the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, we said the best translation of spirit or ghost, Holy Ghost in, the, in, in some translations, the best translation is that it's wind. It's, the, it's literally the wind of God or the breath of God. So if you want wind back in your sails, you need, I need, an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God. But that, that comes with so much you know, connotation. And what does that really mean? And I don't know kind of, you know, what, where, where are the snakes at? You know, when does that happen? Or what, what do we have to do? Or what, what, what does all that mean? So we're trying to unpack what it means to have an encounter and experience with the Holy Spirit. We've been using this as our theme verse. Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter says this, This day I called heaven and earth as a witness against you that I've set before you a choice. And really, this is what this church is built on. I've got to be honest with you. You want to know what our church is built on? It's built on this choice. That you have a choice between life and death, blessing and curses. And he said, my prayer for you and my prayer for this church is that you choose life. That you have a life-elevating, life-giving experience with God. I grew up in a religious environment that I left church with my head hanging down, everybody. I did. I left church feeling worse about myself than when I got there. I, I thought I was saved usually by Sunday morning, but by Sunday afternoon, I was confident I was going to hell. Everybody, come on. I knew I wasn't. I lived thinking I was going to go to hell till next Sunday morning, everybody. And then this vicious cycle all over again. And I want this church, my, my deepest prayer for you, really, 
is that you leave here with your, with your shoulders kind of pulled back a little bit and your head a little higher. That doesn't mean that we don't talk about some serious issues of our lives or sin or what it means to follow Jesus, but it does mean this, that this place ought to be the best place you get all week long. Shout amen, everybody. This ought to be the most life-giving experience you have. I want you to leave out of here knowing that God is with you, that there's hope inside of you. And so we've been talking about how to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that gives you that fresh air. Now, here's the truth. When you start talking about the Holy Spirit or some translations, the Holy Ghost, I, I, I don't know. Some of you, I'm not into ghosts. Come on, somebody. Hello. Some of us are churchy, though. I'm churchy. I grew up. How many of you grew up uh, like in a, in a charismatic or a Pentecostal background? Would you just raise your hands? Use, y'all were, yeah, they're loud. They're always, yeah. They're the loud ones. They got two hands up, talking, to, you know, screaming out. How many of you grew up Baptist? Come on, all, all my Baptist people. There you are. Are y'all my favorite? Because you're kind of, you're kind of reserved. I like y'all. Y'all don't do anything crazy. You know what I'm talking about? We're all Catholics. You grew up Catholic. Y'all don't, y'all can't raise your hands in church. No. <laughs> all the, yeah, I grew up, grew up or Episcopalians. Where y'all at? Where y'all at? Episcopal, y'all really don't raise your hand. One. There's one dude that admits to be or Lutherans. All my Germans. Come on, this is Bernie. All my Lutheran people. A couple of you. Yeah, Lutheran. How many of you just grew up a heathen? You just, you just. Like, y'all just sinners. That's what I was. Where's that? Where's that pot-smoking dude? That's me. What y'all call them? Y'all are my favorite. Y'all are the reason why we started this church, because I, yeah, I love y'all more than all the rest of them put together. The truth is, though, when you, when you grow up in a different environment like that, smoking pot or going to a Pentecostal church, which are strangely similar when you... When you do it, listen, I'm, I grew up, I, that's how I grew up. I can talk about it. I, I grew up that way. When you do that, though, when you, Daniel, you know, when you do, when that, then you bring with you all of these misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. It's, you know, this is the way I've seen it, or this is the way I thought that it was supposed to go, or I thought that it happened this way. And here's what we said. Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to move the way you think he ought to. Amen, everybody? But, but the truth of the matter is that if it's in this book, I don't care what I brought to the table. I want to know what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And whatever this says is available to me, that's what I want. Say amen to that. I don't want to bring my religious ideas or thoughts because you're not going to get to heaven and go, well, this is what Mitch said. This is how I was raised. We're going to get to heaven. We're going to open this book. And whatever this book says is what's, that's what's going to stand in our life. So we've just sort of been going to this book and saying, okay, God, what, what do you say about it? Truth is... That there are so many confusions, and confusion about the Holy Spirit is not new. If you watch late night Christian TV, which I do, because I'm just I'm a church junkie like that, and I told y'all I'll, I'll sow a seed and I'll get you know miracle water and spring water and all kinds of stuff, because I'm just a church junkie. But you'll start watching that stuff and get confused, man, and think if that's what it's about, I don't know that I want anything to do with that. That's not new. Matter of fact, Acts the 19th chapter says it this way that there were a couple of preachers, Apollos and Paul. Apollos was at Corinth. And Paul took the road to the interior, went down to Ephesus, and he found there some disciples, some Christians, people who were following Jesus. And he asked them the question that really, this is the question I've been asking you for a couple of weeks and, and this whole series, and that's this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost when you believed? So he asked them, these are believers, these are disciples. He just said, I just want to know what you believe about it. Sort of, you know, the background, just like I just asked you, sort of how you, how you know about that. And here's the answer they had. Um, we didn't even know there was such a thing. I, you're going to have to talk to us about what that means. We didn't even know there was such a thing. So confusion about the Holy Spirit isn't new to our generation. It's have, Listen, Jesus had just resurrected everybody. We're just talking about a few years after the time of Jesus, and there's already confusion about it. So coming to church with confusion about what it means to, to, you know, to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, the personal Holy Spirit, 
is understandable. But just because you don't understand it, listen close, doesn't mean it's not for you. Say amen to that. Everything that I have, I don't understand. Everything that I get from God, I don't have to understand. Matter of fact, I told you a couple of weeks ago, if you understand everything about your God, then the God that you serve is not the God of the Bible. Because I don't know everything. I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. I haven't figured everything out. If you get there, you come talk to me, okay? But I'm not there yet. So every day I approach that book and I approach church with, okay, God, what else do you have for me? What more do you have for me? And so we've sort of been doing that over the past uh, couple of weeks. And really today, I just want to end with a culmination. Here's, here's my prayer for you. Let me just go ahead and spill the beans. Listen, my prayer for you in this whole series is that you have an encounter with, that you are filled with, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I really want to talk to you what it means, what we mean when we say that here and what this book means when it says that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and sort of what that means and what's available to you about the Holy Spirit. Here's what we talked about last week. We talked about the power that's available to you and the Holy Spirit and that you need a power. I told you a story last week, in case you weren't here, about digging a hole for planting trees. Have you ever done that? You ever like bought a tree from a nursery and I had to dig out and, and I was with a, a friend of mine and we had done four or five of them and then somebody comes rolling on the property with a backhoe, everybody. How many of you know I thought it was Jesus riding a white stallion? Come on, somebody. Because I, I could have accomplished what I was trying to do with a shovel and some work gloves, but it's easier, faster, more powerful when you use a backhoe, everybody. Listen close. You can serve God without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there's power that's available to you that if it's available to you, why would you and I try to live our Christianity digging it out ourselves? Why would we face the hardest things in our life without the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen, everybody? So we just said there's power of it. The Pentecostals, calm down. We just said there's power available to you. Last week, and here's kind of where we started, Acts, the first chapter, if you want to know about the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts is a good place to start. Acts 1 says this on one occasion. While Jesus was eating with his disciples, see, I'm just like Jesus with Bluebell. Come on, somebody. He gave them this command. Here's what he told them. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Everybody shout the gift. Wait for the gift that my father has promised you, which you've heard me speak about. Verse 5 says, for John, that's John the Baptist. All my Baptist people say amen. John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And my prayer for you is that, that there's an encounter in your life where you, where you have that Holy Spirit baptism. Let me sort of give you, uh, you know, the, the 30,000 foot view of what's going on here. After Jesus says this, now the disciples do what it is Jesus told them to do. They go to Jerusalem and they wait. And then Acts, the second chapter, sort of talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out on the first church. This is the beginning of the early church, Acts 2. And verse 1, if you have your Bibles or follow along the screen. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, Underline that in your Bible. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound, listen close, like the blowing of a violent wind, there it is, came from heaven, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Let me just pause right here and tell all of us raised charismatic, spirit-filled Pentecost, or whatever you call yourself, they weren't running around throwing chairs at each other with their tides, you know, tied around their head. Come on, everybody. They were just sitting down. Because it's not going to always happen the way you think it's going to happen. Say amen to that. 
And so they were, they, they were sitting there, and the Holy Spirit, like a wind, that's what we think, that, that, that's the better definition, that's the best way we can describe Him. He comes blowing into the house and filled the whole house where they were sitting, verse 3, and that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, or, or, or a piece of fire that separated and came to set on each of them, or rest on each of them, and all of them, everybody shout all of them, it's God's plan that everybody, all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to do so or enabled them to do so. So let me give you some, some idea of kind of where we are in history. Jesus had, had lived 33 years. He was crucified. He paid for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. And he, after the resurrection, the Bible says he walked around for about 40 days, popping through walls, doing crazy stuff to the disciples and giving them some final instructions. One of those we just read about. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait there. Then he ascends into heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know that if you've been around church for long. There are about 500 people there on the Mount of Transfiguration that heard him say, I want you to go wait in Jerusalem. And so after that, after the Mount of Transfiguration, they sort of disperse and go their own ways. And about 120 of them actually make it back to Jerusalem. And they go to the second story of a house. I think it's probably the place that Jesus had had the Last Supper with them. A place that they had been to. The church offices. Come on, everybody. And they're waiting there in Jerusalem. And there's 120. And they're there for 10 days. They're there for 10 days. And so this is now 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, 40 days he was on earth, 10 days after his ascension. And it was the day of, everybody shout, Pentecost. Now the problem with this is that we, you and I aren't Jewish, and so ideas like Pentecost or holidays like that or Jewish terms like that are hard for us to wrap our heads around. And so we get very scared about it. And maybe you've heard about a Pentecostal experience or the experience of Pentecost or what happens on Pentecost, and you think, man, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, let me just, let me kind of give you, here's, here's kind of what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to dispel a couple of myths about that and help you understand God's plan for you through Jewish holidays. Now, if we were Jews, you would know this, but in the Jewish calendar, there are seven major holidays in a year. I'm sorry, there's seven holidays, and three of them are major ones. So just like our calendar has holidays throughout the year, Valentine's Day, Father's Day, Mother's Day, there's about three major ones, Christmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving are the major times where you and I have, you know, and, and the day SeaWorld opens. That's another one. But anyway, the, the, Slitterbond opens. That's a big one. Yeah, come on. That. Those are major holidays. And so in the Jewish calendar, there are three major holidays. And God uses those three holidays. Listen, I love this to kind of reveal His plan. Jesus would re sort of reveal the plan of God, not only for the disciples or the people of the first century, but really God's plan for us you can find in these holidays. But they get confusing because, you know, we're not Jews. So let me kind of help you with that. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. These are the three major holidays, kind of how they, they happen for Jewish people and really God's plan in our life today based on those holidays. Here's the first one. It's called Passover. Would you write that down in your notes? Passover is the first major holiday on the Jewish calendar. and We just celebrated that about 50 days ago. Go figure. About 50 days ago. And it was, it was the feast or the celebration that, that celebrated literally when, when the death angel of God passed over their home. Uh, of the children of Israel. Let me give you the story. Uh, quickly, the Hebrews are in slavery in Egypt. And they've been there 400 years. They built the pyramids that you see on, you know, on TV now. Or if you've been to Egypt. Or we have, one, of, one of our dream team is an Egyptian. Uh, and anyway, so he didn't actually build them or anybody knows. Anyways, uh, so there, I don't know why I thought about that. I just have ADD. And I said Egypt and he's Egyptian. Anyways. 
So there's slaves there for 400 years, and you know that God calls Moses to deliver them out. But before he delivers them out, there are ten plagues that God sends to Egypt. And the final plague is that God says he's going to take the firstborn of everything in Egypt. All of the livestock, all all the people, all the animals. And so God wants to save the children of Israel from that plague. And so you know, you know the story. Then Moses tells the people, I want you to sacrifice a lamb. And I want you to put it in the oven and cook that lamb. And then I want you to take the blood of that lamb and put it on your doorpost or the outside of your doors. And when the angel passes over your door, when he passes over your door, when he passes over your house, you're going to be saved. And so every year since then, they have celebrated the Feast of Passover, which was... God saving us from ourselves. Listen close. Passover, though it celebrates an actual event in Jewish history, for you and I, that's our salvation. Say amen to that, everybody. That means when you repent of your sins and give your heart to Jesus, we have a, the Bible would call Jesus our sacrificial lamb who was crucified, he was buried, he resurrected, and by his blood, you and I can be saved. Shout amen to that, everybody. That's when you're saved. That's when you give your heart to God. That's when the blood of Jesus Christ washes you and makes you clean. And listen, nothing else can take that place and you can't do anything else, listen close, to earn your salvation. It is the end of the discussion about salvation. Listen very clearly to me because I'm teaching you doctrine now that's super important for you to sort of understand why what I'm going to teach you in a moment is so important to you. Is that you can't do anything to add to, to earn. You can't pray enough, come to church enough, give enough, serve enough, do anything. Nothing else earns your salvation. Here's what Ephesians says. Ephesians 2 and 8 says it's by grace... That you have been saved through faith in the cross, in Jesus Christ. It's nothing that you've done. It's the gift of God. And you can't do anything to earn it. Not by works so that nobody here can say, well, I've done more than you and I've earned that. Amen, everybody. It's the gift of God. When the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your life, that's our Passover. That's our salvation. But listen. Just because that's the Passover, that's not the only feast that they celebrate. As a matter of fact, that's not the end of the story for the Hebrew people. That's the beginning of the story. you got to start somewhere. And there's a lot of people in this room that that's sort of where you have begun and it's kind of where you've stopped the story. Okay, God, I'm in the family. You've saved me from all of my sins. I'm following Jesus, doing the best I can, giving it the best I can, but i got a shovel in my hand trying to kind of do all the work by myself. Blood's applied in my life. You've forgiven me, washed away my sins. The lamb, the sacrificial lamb of Jesus has purchased my salvation, but that's not the end of the story. There's another major holiday. Everybody write this down. The second one is Pentecost, or the Feast of Pentecost. Now, let me sort of give you this. This is, this is crazy theology. I want you to look at me in the eyes, just so, so we can sort of take off all of this stigma. Now, I know I make fun, and I, I, I joke around a little bit, but listen, the enemy would tell you that there's something scary or spooky or weird about Pentecost, and I've been around some that are scary and spooky. Come on, somebody. But the word is not spooky. As a matter of fact, a Pentecostal or a Pentecost experience is spooky. As a matter of fact, here's what... Here's what Pentecost means. You ready for this? You ready for this super scary word? Look at my eyes. Pentecost means 50. You see how scary that is? You understand what I'm trying to say? You see how scary 50 is? You're like, God, I want everything you have for me except 50. Do not give me 50. Don't make me do 50. Don't put anything 50 on me. I want everything up to 50. I don't want anything. That's all that it means. It just means 50. The day of Pentecost literally was celebrated 50 days 
after the Passover. And Pentecost was the, it was the, the feast that celebrates when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Have you ever seen Charlton Heston with, with the Ten Commandments? Come on, everybody. He goes up to Mount Sinai. The Israelites have followed him out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, and now they're waiting, and there's this big fireball that hits the side of the mountain. You don't know if anybody ever seen that movie? Yeah, big fireball that hits. Thank you back there, back in the back. Religious programming, me and you. And, he, and, and, and then this mountain cracks open, and there's cloud, and there's smoke, and it's crazy. As a matter of fact, all the children of Israel are down below thinking, what, Moses is dead. Like, something crazy has happened on the top of that. That's this huge experience. But God gives the law to Moses there. And that's what, what Jewish people celebrate every year after that is Pentecost, that the law has been given to us. Listen close. You say, what does that have to do with me? How does that have to do with what we just read? The day of Pentecost. Well, I'll tell you what. A bunch of Jews were gathered together, and they're celebrating. There's a feast about the law that comes, and there's a lot of fireworks, everybody. There's a big cloud, everybody. There's some fire. And because of that, listen close, Pentecost, if, if Passover is your salvation, then Pentecost is the power to make a difference. Say amen to that, everybody. It's the power that you and I need to make a difference. Listen close. When God saved you, He gave you a purpose. He did not just save you so you wouldn't go to hell. Now, that's a good enough reason, everybody. I'm being honest with you. It's fire insurance, and that's a good enough reason. But that's not the only reason. God saved you and put you on mission. I think one of the callings that I have, I really believe God's called me. To, to, tell, to tell people that God's got a mission for you, that you have purpose. We say it this way here at City Hills, that we want you to discover your purpose. I want you to know why God put you on mission. But if you're going to do the thing God called you to do, if you're going to live a successful, God-honoring, on-mission Christian life, you and I need power to do that. The Hebrew people, if they were going to please God, they needed the power to do that. That was the law that was written on tablets. But listen close. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes those disciples and fills them with power, you know what He does? He puts the law not on stone anymore. Now He puts the law on their heart, everybody. That's what I want. I want something so deep and powerful in my life that it's something inside my heart. I don't have to look at a list of rules to know whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Is, am I doing right? Is this in the rule book? Is this not in the rule book? No, no, no. I want something that's so powerful that it gets inside of my heart and it writes the list of rules. It writes that stuff on my heart. It says this is the stuff that, that pleases God. I want, I want that kind of power in my life to make a difference. Say amen to that, everybody. And that's not the only one. There's three major holidays. I told you the last one is the Feast of Tabernacles. Would you write that down? Tabernacles is in the harvest time. It's in the fall. And it celebrates the, the, the wandering of the children of Israel in the desert. It literally is a celebration that talks about, hey, we didn't have a permanent home. We were just living in what they would call tabernacles or tents or just portable sort of location. And, and, and they would move around all the time until they got to their promised land, their permanent home. You say, well, what does tabernacles have to do with us? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think tabernacles is the feast that celebrates that Jesus Christ is coming again. Say amen to that, everybody. I know it's not popular preaching, but let me be honest with you. I don't think this world is our home, everybody. 
I think we're just here temporarily. I think there's a better place coming. Matter of fact, I'm going to preach about it this fall. I'm going to talk about what it's like to get our hearts ready. I don't want to just get my eyes on this world. If this is all there is, you and I are in a bad way. Come on. We ought to leave here and go skydiving and climb Mount Everest and just just live it up. If this is all we're ever going to have. But I'm not living for here. No, no, no. I'm celebrating. This is just my temporary home. There's somewhere. The old timers used to say it's on the other side. It's on that other side there. That's my permanent home. Shout amen to that, everybody. That's that promised land that God brought the children of Israel to and that He wants to bring us to. So if God wants to move in that, here's what I think. I really believe that everybody sort of, this is the journey God wants to take you on. I think God wants to save you. That's Passover. I think God wants to save you. And ultimately, I think God wants to get you ready for heaven. That's tabernacles. But right in the middle of that is something that some people pass over Pardon the pun. Some people pass over that second feast that I think is so important for you. And that's Pentecost. That's that baptism of power. And really my deepest prayer in this series is that somebody, that a lot of us would just be open to, despite what I've heard or how I was raised or what I come believing about, that God, I need fresh air in my life. I know what it's like to live powerless and lifeless and listless. I need some strength. I need some overcoming power. I want, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me talk to you for just about 10 more minutes. I want to tell you why I think you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, why I think it's available to you, and this is what it means. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Baptism is an immersion. It's a fully immersion. When you, when you baptize something, you don't, just, you don't just pour water on top of it. You fully immerse it. When you get baptized here at City Hills, we dunk you completely under the water. I, t- I told you, I, we baptized uh, a couple of people here, I don't know, s- several months ago. Uh, and Hey, we're baptizing in July, by the way. I'm so pumped up about that. So we baptized a couple of people, and this guy, we got in the water, and this guy looked at me and goes, Hey, Pastor, listen. Nobody kind of knows where I come from and what I've been going through. Like, could you hold me under a little longer? And I was like... Dude, I'll hold you under to the bubble stop. I don't care. Like, I, it doesn't work that way, but I'll do whatever it is you want to do. But all of you is completely submerged because we're, we're signifying the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. No part of you is left uncovered in water. You understand what I'm telling you? The same is true when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. No part of you is untouched by the presence of God. It's not just what happens on the outside of me. It's on the inside of me. It's what I think about. It's now my language starts changing. It's now, it's now what, what, what goes on in my mind, what I talk about. The things I desire changes. What, what I do changes. Everything about me, start, my attitude changes. Where I go changes. Where I don't go changes. What I wear, come on somebody. Everything changes about me. My temperament changes. My patience changes. Everything changes. No Part of you, when you are really baptized with the Holy Spirit, is left unaffected by the presence of God. Now, I want that in my life, everybody. I don't want one area of my life to be hid from His presence. I want, I say, God, whatever it is you have for me, I want it all over me. Shout amen to that. I don't want to hold back that one area. Here's the way I like to describe it to you if you pour uh, water inside of a glass, is is that glass full of water? Shake your head this way. When you come to God, I think the Holy Spirit moves in your heart. Matter of fact, I think you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that. The Bible says no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. There's a lot of people in this room today that you have the Holy Spirit working in your life, changing you, sanctifying you, moving inside of your life, that, every, that something's really going on, it's producing you know, fruit inside of my life, but you're not fully immersed in it. If I take that same glass of water that has water on the inside of it and I throw that glass full of water in the Pacific Ocean, that's called a baptism, everybody. 
Now, my prayer for you is not that the Holy Spirit just is moving on the inside of you that changes you from the inside. I pray that you have a baptism as big as the Pacific Ocean. I want everything in my life to be fully submerged in it. I want to be sensitive when God talks. You ever wondered, how does God talk to people? That's how. When I'm baptized in His presence, when, when, it's, when it's literally from the top of my head to the soul of... And some of you have experienced that power and you didn't even know what it was. I heard somebody before or after first service, they came up to me and they go, man, I was a young person. I was a baby. I was a child when this happened, five or six years old. I remember what that feeling felt like, that baptism of power in me. And my deepest prayer for you is that you'll be open to that immersion, that thing that changes every part of me, that no part of me is left untouched by God's presence. Say amen to that, everybody. Here's the second thing about the Holy Spirit baptism. There is a physical sign to baptism. When you get baptized in water, the physical sign is you get wet, everybody. There's nothing, there's nothing magical about water. There's nothing even supernatural about water in and of itself. It's just the physical sign that I'm identifying with His death and burial and resurrection. Because every baptism has a physical sign, and so it is with the Holy Spirit baptism. Now, this is the part where some people kind of derail and get off the, you know, get off the tracks and say, Man, I was tracking with you. I was all with it until there's this physical sign here. But just listen close. And let me help you through this. And we're just going to see what the Bible says about this. There's always a physical sign that accompanies the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now listen close, because this is a doctrinal point that I really want you to catch. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a changed life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You ever met somebody who claims to have the Holy Spirit living in their life, but they live like a devil? Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? They talk terrible. They're mean. They have no patience. They have no kindness. They're not gentle. I don't care how much there's a physical sign in their life. If something hadn't changed on the inside, it's not the Holy Spirit. Shout amen to that. That's the evidence. But there is a sign in the New Testament that accompanies that. And here's what the Bible would say in Acts 2 and verse 4. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. You read that with me. How do we know what was the sign that accompanied them? Listen close. And they began to speak in tongues or in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability or enabled them to do so. There was a physical sign, speaking in a language that wasn't their own, that gave them the sign that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now listen unequivocally. Let me tell you what the Bible teaches. Not my idea, not my theology, not my opinion or how I was raised. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there will be a sign that follows. There just will be a sign in your life. Is it immediate? I don't know that it's always immediate. But I do think there's a sign that follows in your life. Is it always the same one? Not always the same one. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, there were some people who got supernatural boldness when the Holy Spirit came on them. There was boldness that came. Some people, when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, they prophesied. In other words, they had knowledge that wasn't their own. And they spoke about the good things of God. There was boldness and power that came on them. But most often, Excuse me, most often in the New Testament, the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, listen, is speaking in a language that isn't your own. It's speaking in tongues. Now, I've just got to be honest with you. I didn't come up with it. It wasn't my idea, but it's in this book. And if it's in this book, I don't have to understand it fully to say, God, I, I just I want whatever it is that you have for me. Let me tell you, let me look at you in the eyes and, and, and be completely honest with you and transparent. This is not a switch and bait. I'm, I'm telling, I'm, I'm all cards out. I don't believe in, in switch and bait. I have been filled with the Holy Spirit for years and I speak with tongues. Now listen, in this church, it will never be strange or weird or wild or out loud 
or on the stage, somebody screaming or somebody. Never. Because that's something else. And in the New Testament, you'll find Paul going to somebody and saying, the church in Corinth, and he said, hey, guys, what you're doing right now, you're speaking in tongues and everybody, nobody knows what you're doing. It's, it's confusing to everybody. We're not going to do that. We need an interpreter for that. We're not going to do that in front of everybody. He said, however, I speak in tongues more than all of you. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not telling you it's not important. I'm just telling you it's for you and not for everybody else around you. Shout amen to that. It's for you to be built up. It's for you to be encouraged. It's for you to pray and the Holy Spirit makes intercession and prays for you. It's encouraging you and building up your faith and leading you and guiding you. But I think that you need it, everybody. And I think it's normal that at some point in your life, when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, you will develop a language that is unique to you, that you communicate with God and God communicates with you. Say amen to that, everybody. Here's the third thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And our musicians are coming. Let me wrap up. Not only is the Holy Spirit a baptism that completely immerses you. Not only is there a sign that follows that, that there's something that happens to you. Let me be, let me be super clear. The sign is not the Holy Spirit, everybody. Let, let me say it one more time. Speaking in tongues is not the Holy Spirit. It is the sign of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is, is a changed life. That's my real prayer for you. But the third thing that I want you to know, and really if you don't catch anything else I say about any of this or the last six weeks you hadn't caught any of this and you think, man, I don't even know where you're headed with all this and I don't even know if this is for me. Here's what I want you to know. And the last thing I want you to write down, that the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's for you. It's for you. It's available for you. That there's power that you can have. And really my prayer for our church is that at some point in your Christianity, doesn't have to be today, doesn't have to be in this moment, but there's something that happens to you. Everybody listen close and look at me. That there will be a time in your, in your personal devotion. You know, when you, I, I, I've heard people who say that to me. Pastor, how's it going to happen? Where's it going to be? Where's the lightning bolts? Where the, sometimes it, it won't be lightning bolts. It could be in a service just like this. It, it could be when the band's singing and, and, and Graylin's singing and, and our worship team's giving and your eyes are closing. You don't feel anybody else. You don't know anybody else is there. And tears are, I've, I've watched it happen in this room. Tears falling out of your eyes and in that moment there's that baptism of power that you just feel that you just feel like man this is all over and immersion and, and then and then I've heard people who told me in this room pastor it was just I was just you know by myself I was in the car and I just had on worship music or a podcast or, or, or whatever and and I was just worshiping God doing the best and 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 in the moment that, you know, that, that I did, just there was sort of that baptism of power. Maybe it was in in your house and you know your personal devotion time or or, or just Here's all that I know. It doesn't have to happen like it happened to anybody else, but I think it should happen to everybody. I think that you ought to, I think that you ought to want more of God in everything, in every area of your life. That's really what I want. How do you know it's for me? How do you know it wasn't just for the first century? How do you know that it just wasn't for people in the... Well, I'll tell you how. Because Acts 2 says it this way. Peter stands up after the Holy Spirit is poured out on them and he preaches about the cross. He preaches about Jesus. That's the real message of Pentecost, by the way, is that Jesus Christ is crucified and resurrected. And then Peter answers and he says, Repent. That's your salvation, everybody. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to repent and put your faith in Jesus and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins could be washed away. And then you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do you know it's for me? Because the promise, verse 39, is for you and for your children and for everybody who are far off. Everybody. He said, matter of fact, let me just say it this way. It's for all 
who the Lord our God will call. In other words, it's for you. It's for you. Now, here's the last thing I want to tell you in this whole series, and then, and then we'll pray together. Listen close. I don't ever want you to leave this church feeling like, man, I'm less than. I don't know. I've never had that kind of experience. Pastor, I'm open to it. I'm, I'm, I'm about, whatever that book says is what I want, but I don't know. I'm, I'm confused. I don't know about it. Listen close. Listen close. Everybody listen close. The Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, does not make me better than you. Listen close. It just makes me better than me. You are not a second-class Christian in this church because you haven't experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make anybody here better than you. Shout amen to that. But it does make me better than me. It's the power that I need. It's the strength that I need. And over the last six weeks, I've been preaching to you about really what it means to sort of get the, that, that fresh air, that spiritual drink of cold water, everybody. That when you feel dry and you feel lifeless, and man, you just need a cool breeze to kind of fill your lungs and sort of blow over your life. You just need wind back in your cells. I've been preaching to you about a revival of God's presence in your life. And I think that's the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer for you. So why don't you stand and grab somebody by the hand that you came to church with. Nobody leaving for the next two minutes, and I'll let you out of here, I promise. Take somebody by the hand. Hopefully it's somebody you know. <laughs> if you're single, don't go grabbing hands. Don't do anything strange. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Now, Jesus, I believe wholeheartedly that there's a lot of remarkable Christians in this room who are just in a place where they feel lifeless. This is the doldrums where everything's kind of, it's just gray. There's just, there's no vibrancy. There's no, there's no life. There's no fullness. There's no power. There's no passion left. God, I don't know how it got that way. I know life tends to, tends to do that. It tends to sort of drag us into the doldrums, into that place where we feel like we just have no life and no breath in our lungs and no fresh air. Father, I pray in this very moment with no one moving and our heads bowed, that there would be a cool breeze that sort of blew across our souls. That there would be that baptism of the Holy Spirit that would, that would move. God, I pray for the people under the sound of my voice. It doesn't have to happen in this moment, but it could. Father, I pray that, that, that in this moment or in, in a worship service, maybe next week in a movie theater with our hands raised and tears falling down, singing our hearts out to God that there would be that baptism of power. I pray for somebody in this room that this week when they open the Bible and they just say, God, if it's for me, I want that. God, I don't know everything about it, but I, I'm open to it. God, I pray that it would, it, it, would, it would meet them in their living room or around a kitchen table. God, I pray for somebody in their car this week who just, who's just worshiping God with all they have. There would just be an encounter. There would be a time where they sensed, they knew that they knew that they knew that the presence of God was there and that fresh air would come back into their life, that the Holy Spirit would blow into that room into that car, into that prayer time, into that worship service, and it would revive their very souls. It would baptize them with fire, with power. God, that strength that's available to them. God, that thing that they can tap into, that reservoir of power that's available to every believer. I just pray, let it happen, let it happen, let it happen. 
Now I want you to do this. I want you to raise both of your hands kind of open like that. If, you'll, if you're comfortable with that, I just want you to open your hands open. And I want you to ask God in your own way. God, if it's for me, I, I, want, I want what he's talking about, God. I just pray. God, I pray for that kind of encounter with God's presence. I pray for the Holy Spirit to move in my life. God, I just I want that. I want it however it is that it happens in me, through me. God, I need that. I need strength. I need fresh air. God, I need the moving of the Holy Spirit in my life. God, I need the power of His presence. God, I need you more than anything else. I need your power and your presence in my life. God, I just want to live this life full of strength, full of fresh air, full of the wind, the presence, and the power of God. I believe you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody shout amen. Come on, everybody shout a big amen. Amen.